Now, the final piece of Revelation 7, and I understand that I'm taking a long time to go through this, but part of it is clearing out the dead wood and re-establishing the ancient paths, filling up the low places and tearing down the high places, making a highway for our King so that His people would rejoice at His coming. The book of Revelation is not a scary book, it's a book of great triumph, it's the culmination of all of the scriptures. It's where the focus of all that has been spoken, both in prophetic scripture and in scripture that is typically considered uh, attainable, it's where it all comes together. The book of Revelation is the compendium of scripture, both prophetic and what might be considered non-prophetic scripture. And in fact, the way you interpret the book of Revelation is to look at all the scriptures because inasmuch as it is the summary, the keys to its understanding are found plainly hidden or hidden in plain sight in the rest of of scripture, both prophetic and if you you like, and this is just my designation, non-prophetic scripture. In that sense, really all scripture speaks to these themes that are wrapped up, summarized in Christ and spoken to in the book of Revelation. All right, we got down to verse 14 of Revelation 7, we'll continue. This is, th- these are the ones who have come through the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This of course is a reference to Revelation 19, it also harks back to the prophecy regarding Judah in the book of Genesis where uh, Jacob, speaking of 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 Judah, said that uh, the descendant of Judah would wash his robes in the blood of grapes, which of course is a reference to Christ um, and the shedding of His blood make them white in the blood of the Lamb. So what Jesus has done, we are able to access because we are in the box. Now that term for being in the box is called propitiation, propitiation. So we have to be made mature and when we are made mature through trials and suffering, we then become able to be measured by the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. Now this would be Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Then we are no longer infants, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemings. Instead, we'll be able to pause and delineate with accuracy the message of wisdom for the mature. We are to rise up through through all the stages of our sonship 
to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. Then we will no longer be infants and we will not be subject to the schemings and the deceptions of both wicked leaders in the church, false shepherds, and be caught in the trap and the schemes of the devil laid out for us in the cosmos. We will come to maturity. So it's in the box that we are designed to come to maturity. So the propitiated settlement then is where God looks on us in Christ and sees no distinction between us and Christ. We're placed in the box from the time we are born again. What precedes being born again, what precedes coming out of death is a decision on our part to cede the governance of our lives by our own dictates and by our own own hands, to cede that governance to Christ. What does that mean? It means we come under His Lordship. So when you are saved, it's really not about going to heaven when you die. The gospel is never, the gospel has never been referred to as the gospel of salvation. It has always been referred to as the gospel or the gospel of the kingdom. Why? Because we are translated, we're lifted up out of one kingdom and we are put into another kingdom. We are moved from being under the rule of one king and we are planted under the rule of another king. This is the matter of transference and one might say, this is how we are transferred from the world into the box, into Christ. And in that condition, being aided by and equipped with the mind of Christ, we shall in all things grow up into Him from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are supposed to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. We are supposed to be conformed to His mind. That requires a renewing of the mind, from the mind of the soul back to the mind of the spirit, where Christ then rules over our spirits, over the minds of our spirits. And over time and through the adversities presented to us, we gradually make the changes that indicate that we grow from one level of glory to another, to another, to another, until we can be trusted to accurately represent Him in all matters. Now, in that configuration, in that configuration, we become known as the body of Christ. So another word for the box is the body of Christ. 
And you remember again, I used the term box in relationship to the Ark of the Covenant, which is a type and shadow of Christ, in whom we are carried into the presence of God. So we move from imputed righteousness to actual righteousness, so that the body and the head are fitly joined together. The word fitly is the word appropriately, meaning that the body is capable of responding to the head. So the life within the body and by extension our own lives become no longer ours but are submitted to Him who dwells in us. And so we have then a different quality of life within these bodies that still have natural lives in them, the mindset change has now focused us away from the matters of living, surviving, hiding, clothing ourselves, to reference back to Adam and where he ended up immediately after he left the presence of God, to being persons who live in Him, who move in Him, who have our very beings in Him, which means that all of the mandates of our lives are dictated by Him. So for all intents and purposes, He becomes our lives. So when Christ who is our lives appears, we appear with Him in the glory of His appearing, not in heaven and not the hereafter, but now. For you died and your life is now, now, hidden with God in Christ. This is, the, this is Paul's message in both Philippians and Colossians. So when Christ who is your life appears, He'll appear where you are standing because He lives in you. Inasmuch as we live in Him, we move in Him, we have our very beings in Him, just as He prayed to the Father. Father, let them be one in the fashion in which You and I are one. You are living in Me, I am living in You. Let them be one in us, in you and in me, in the manner in which I now live in you, the manner in which you now live in me. Well, what was that? The Father lived in the person of Christ who provided a host, provided a host in which the Father could dwell to do His works. Jesus put it this way, Do you not believe, He said to His twelve disciples, do you not believe that it is a Father living in Me who is doing His work? It was a rhetorical question. How long have I been with you and you still don't get that I do nothing of myself, but it's the Father who lives in me who is doing His work and I also must work. 
I must do what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. So it's the Father whose works are being generated out of the being of Christ. Father living in me, doing His work, and I also must work. I only do what I see my Father doing. Now why, what, what, what is the catch then? How does He know what the Father is doing? How does He know what the Father is doing? Simple. He tells us, the Father loves the Son and shows Him what He's doing. How does that work? The Spirit of the Father living in the person of Christ, being the revealer of the mystery of the heart of God, shows, shows us, showed Christ what the Father was doing. That's the reliable connection. Jesus sent us the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father. God, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and said, when He comes, He will take of what belongs to Me and He will reveal it to you. Why? Because we are His body. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ was the body in which the Father dwelt. Father loves the Son, shows Him what He's doing. Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will not forsake you, I will show you what I'm doing, I will come to you. Now, what do you call this configuration in which one lives in the other, in which the Father lived in the Son? Well, Jesus put it this way, destroy this temple, speaking of His body, and I will build it up again in three days. They thought He was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. No, He was talking about His body as a temple. Well, the only qualification, the only thing that would allow His body to be qualified as a temple is that the living God dwelt in Him bodily. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ in a bodily form. That's the way in which the Father was in Him. He was in the Father, pardon me, He was in the Father in the fashion that had to do with He was covered by the Father's authority in all that He did. That's why He would say, I don't need your approval because the one who sent me has already approved of me. He said to Pilate, you have no authority, said to the Roman governor, you have no authority over me. Rome, you do not have any authority over me unless the one who sent me has given you such authority. Clearly, he is the temple, he's the host, of the presence of the Eternal Father and He does everything He he did on the earth, He did under the authority of His Father. So no one could move Him. Now 
when we are in Him as He is in the Father and the Father is in Him, the same thing applies to us. We are His temple. We carry His presence in us. In the same manner in which He carried the presence of the Father, by the Spirit of the Father in Him. So we have the Spirit of Christ in us, informing our spirits, informing the minds of our spirits, and our spirits rule over our bodies and we present our bodies then as living sacrifices. When we agree with the Spirit of God and put our souls back under the rule of our spirits in our daily activities. In that sense then, we are the temple of the living God. We host His presence in the form of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And whoever profanes this temple, him will God destroy which temple we are. Now, come back now to uh, our reading in the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter, verse 15 and following. Therefore, this is what the, one of the elders said to John concerning this vast multitude who had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made their, themselves white or made the, 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 made the robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Again, reference to what was referred to by Jacob concerning Judah. Now verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God. What does that mean? They're positioned, they're positioned under the authority of the throne of God. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night. So their positioning is, by his, is under His authority and they're serving Him day and night. Now look at this, serve Him day and night in His temple, in His temple. Now there are two words in the Greek for temple. One word is herion, H-E-I-R-O-N, and it typically refers to a building like the temple of Zeus, the temple of, of Aphrodite, and so on. But this is not the Greek term used here. It's not herion, like a building. It's the term naos, N-A-O-S, naos. That means the spot in the Hirion, the spot in the temple that is generally thought to be where the deity actually lives. So Naos is about the dwelling place of the deity. So they serve Him day and night in His dwelling place. What does that mean? It means whether they're here on the earth or they're part of the company 
seen before the throne in heaven and they're both, the kingdom of heaven rules over heaven and earth, the whole family in heaven and on earth. So what we're seeing in the book of Revelation is a positioning irrespective of the realm of heaven and earth. In other words, what is true in heaven is true on the earth. And because the, the, what, what, Revel, what the book of Revelation is looking to is the consummation of everything in Christ, we see the final picture revealed from the viewpoint of heaven. But in the process of matriculating to that final picture, it is true in heaven already and it is true on the earth and eventually heaven and earth will become one and the whole picture will be seen as it's supposed to be seen. So now those who are in the naos, in the temple of God, serve Him day and night. The very ones who have washed their robes, the very ones who have come through the great tribulation. Now, so so in, in the dwelling place of God, in the naos of God, in the temple of God, that temple in heaven is actually the same as the temple in the earth. His temple is His dwelling place. He'll never leave us, He will never forsake us, He will be with us always. So whether we are at home in the body or away from the body, as the scriptures say, we are yet with Him. Whether we are on the earth presently or we have left this body and are assembled before the throne of God, waiting for the full number of our brethren to be brought in, as we saw earlier in chapter 6, the souls under the altar, whether we are here or there, the progression is going to lead us inevitably to that picture of this vast company. Now, in uh, they serve Him day and night in the temple. Now look at the next line, the latter half of verse 15. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. There is this marvelous series of verses in uh, the book of Hebrews that I want to take you to now. Hebrews chapter 2 and let's go to about verse uh, Eleven. Let's go to verse 10 because it actually brings in the portion of tribulation. Verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 2, for, if, for it was fitting for Him, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom all things, for whom all things and by whom all things and by whom are all things. I'll reread that. For it is fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, 
in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering, tribulation. For both he who sanctifies, and the term is to make men holy, and those who are being sanctified or made holy are all of one. In other words, they are in him, he is in them, they're all one. For this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That is the word adelphos, A-D-E-L-P-H-O-S, and it means to be of the same womb, saying, and he quotes two passages of prophetic scripture, I will declare your name to my brethren. Again, remember we're talking about he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, assembly of the brethren, I will sing your praises. In other words, he is with us in spirit, he's amongst us, and he's actually singing the praises of the Father amongst, from his position amongst us. And again, I will put my trust in him. That's of course a response to him, the one who's, who sings, who declares the name amongst my brethren. So we who are with him declare to him that we will put our trust in him. That's when your soul is brought back under the rule of your, of your spirit and you can hear him and you trust him. This is having faith in him. And to which he now replies to those amongst whom he is who are saying to him, we've come to put our trust in you. Critically important understandings because of the times that we're living in. Truly a people called out of the world into the kingdom who are living amongst the people of the world but living in His presence amongst us. And this is what he will say. But before I get to that, this is our plan, this is God's plan for how He's going to take care of us. Christ Himself will be present amongst us in an increasing measure of His presence. Don't forget, He is the bread of life come down from heaven. In me you can live and move and have your very being in this present world. So He amongst us declares to the Father, here I am, here I am in your dwelling place, in your naos, here I am and the children God has given to me. 
So this, these are incredible, incredible passages of Scripture. So as a result of Him dwelling amongst us, they shall hunger no more, thirst no more, the sun will not strike them nor the heat. This is speaking of Israel in the wilderness, type and shadow of us in these times and going forward. For the Lamb who is on the throne is in the midst, (coughs) pardon me, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, a reference of course to greater and greater revelation of who God actually is and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We'll continue on then in our studies of the book of Revelation and breaking it down and revealing mysteries so that this impenetrable wall is no longer a fortress to keep you out, but rather it's the storehouse of grain and bread. It is is, uh, the, the reservoir of the Word that brings life. No reason to be afraid of the book of Revelation. The the seals have been undone and the mysteries are now being revealed. Let's continue to plow through it. It tells us so much that we've been longing to hear. God bless you. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.